0: If we're going to talk about what does it mean to turn 30, it's a brutal change in some ways. I felt under pressure to go from a kind of carefree, easygoing, never going to have a baby, having fun and having casual sex and working mm-hmm. on my career in my 20s, to suddenly having a mortgage, having a long-term partner, maybe having a baby, knowing what my life is going to look like in my 30s. And how
1: are you meant to go from one to the other <laughs> in the space of like a year? It's wild. Hello, my name's Riley Rose Harper, and this is How to Turn 30, the podcast all about tackling the transition from your 20s to your 30s. This is episode two, The Mother of All Decisions, featuring Nell Frazell. And what is the mother of all decisions? Well, it's the decision to have a baby or not, or to have several babies or not. Circumstances obviously play a major part in this one, and sometimes babies are a surprise and not exactly a decision that you consciously make. I've talked to a few of my closest friends about having a baby and what that means to them. And, you know, when you say, oh, do you want to have a baby one day? And they say, look, I'm really not sure. A wave of relief rushes over me because that's exactly how I feel. And I think sometimes we're embarrassed or ashamed to admit that we're not sure. We should be sure. We should know whether we do or whether we don't. But that's not really the case. I remember when Katy Perry said in her movie, Part of Me, when she was asked about having a baby, she said, a baby can't have a baby and I'm still a baby. And that's exactly how I feel. It feels kind of redundant now because Katy Perry does have a baby, but it still definitely applies to me. And yep, as you get closer to 30 or you move into your 30s, apparently there's this thing called a biological clock, which you probably don't need any reminding of because we are reminded of it quite prominently in movies and television shows and even family members at Christmas, which is so fun. And that's exactly what Nell's book is about, dates, doubts, and the mother of all decisions. It's called The Panic Years. It's out early next year. Yes, very excited to read it. I spoke to Nell on a Friday afternoon, and I was absolutely buzzing after our conversation because she's such a delight to speak to. And I felt very seen and very heard. And this concept of the panic years is going to really resonate because it is this period of your life, which is almost like an adolescence. We start to question things and question where our life is going. And Maybe seeing friends make these big decisions, big life decisions, and maybe you start questioning whether every decision and choice you've made up until this point has been the right one. Yeah, it's called the panic years. Don't worry about it. We're all going to go through it at some point. Nell Frizzell, this is my chat with her. We pick it up from where she was talking about her book.
0: The book sort of came about because I remember having a chat with some girlfriends and we said, there should be a whole decade between your 20s and your 30s when you have time to get your life together. Mm. And I I think that's sort of, you know, if we're going to talk about what does it mean to turn 30, it's a brutal change in some ways. You're sort of expected to go from, or I felt under pressure to go from a kind of carefree, easygoing, never going to have a baby, just like having fun and having casual sex and working Mm -hmm. on my career in my 20s, to suddenly having a mortgage, having a long-term partner, maybe having a baby, knowing what my life is going to look like in my 30s. And how were you meant to go from one to the other in the space of like a year? It's it's wild. In the book, I really wanted to unpack, unpack what I call the panic years. Are those years... For me, probably between about 28 and 32, Mm. where it felt like I had to do this major gear change in my life in order to not just achieve things, but to just fit in with the people around me. You know, it felt, I think as I've written in the book, it felt like someone had let off a starting gun and I hadn't heard it. (laughs) All my friends and peers and loved ones and colleagues were flying down the lanes in front of me and they were meeting people and getting promotions and some of them were pregnant and some of them were buying houses and I was still like eating crisps for dinner and Mm -hmm. drinking too much white wine and cycling home from a a, like not dead-end job but a very insecure job and I feel like for a lot of women particularly because of the way that we are sort of socialized and the way that we are brought up we're kind of we feel this massive pressure to conform in both directions, to be sort of heady and irresponsible in our 20s and then settled and sort of um, successful in our 30s. And that's that's hard. It's really hard. And I think, um, you know, we talk about the tyranny of choice. I think during those years, I felt like there were so many little knots that I had to untangle before I could move forward in my life that it was almost paralysing. You know, I didn't know... I couldn't decide where I, what city I was going to live in, what job I wanted to do, if on the third date this was someone that I really wanted to be with because everything felt in flux. Everything felt like it was sort of the unknown and really hard to pick apart. And so I wrote the book hoping that Women would at least have a shorthand, some kind of language, a common understanding of what this period is. So it doesn't just feel like you're having a one woman
1: nervous breakdown. You talked about how there is a label for puberty and adolescence, but there isn't a label for this.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of wild, isn't it? That You can say, oh, she's she's hit puberty or she's hit the menopause or I think she's got, you know, like my mum's generation, empty nest syndrome. We've got these really mm. useful tags for a social situation that is sort of caused by a biological change Mm -hmm. um, or is at least influenced by the way our bodies sort of adapt over time. But we don't have that for what I think is quite a serious reckoning with your fertility. Mm. That For a lot of women, particularly women in my kind of socioeconomic bracket, that happens at the end of your 20s where you realise that your fertility is probably finite and you maybe don't have decades ahead of you of being able to have children. So if you want to have a family you really have to put some groundwork in now to do it. And what frustrates me, and I think this is where it becomes a gender question, and it does become a, a question for feminism and for men to think about too, is that men just aren't brought up to think like that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we know that male fertility decreases at an equable rate to women, so it's not exactly the same, but quality of sperm and their likelihood of having congenital disorders and just their ability to conceive... Reduces as they get older, you know, there are more and more problems as men leave it later and later to have babies. Mm-hmm. But we all know about the Mick Jaggers of the world who have babies at 60. Yeah. Whereas, you know, women like me have their mums and aunties and friends and teachers and godmothers and bosses all sort of with their fingers on a clock saying, well, by the time you're 35, by the time you're 30, by the, you know, and we, yeah. there's a real panic induced by that. And I kind of, I just wanted, I wanted there to be a group of women sitting in a pub garden on like a, a long Sunday afternoon drinking session over a bottle of white wine they could all say to each other are you in your panic years yeah I think I'm like in a year into my panic <laughs> years oh Julie she's having her panic years oh I think Tom and Martha have broken up because of the panic years like I just yes. wanted it to be a thing that we could all understand where we're at and then be a bit sympathetic and we could do the things that like if someone's broken up with their partner we sort of don't have the rituals we don't really know what to do or if someone loses a baby we're not really sure what we're meant to do or if someone loses a job they're made redundant like we don't have like you don't necessarily know to turn up with a lasagna and a bunch of flowers and to like read this book and to watch this film we just kind of all are expected to bustle through it on our own and that's quite a big ask so Mm. I kind of want I want to bring this out into the open. I want people to become more familiar with it, to recognize the signs in themselves and their friends. And then we can kind of create a sort of a social dialogue and ritual an understanding around it so women do feel supported and men feel that they're involved in it you know I think mm. um I want this to be a conversation that men are having about you know whether they're going to have a family what they want from their life how are they going to juggle childcare and also their career how yeah. are they going to afford to t- put their children in nursery whether they can have two children or if they've left it too late like I want men to be having those conversations because at the moment it feels like I'm We, you know, people who identify as women are carrying that rock up the hill all by themselves.
1: (laughs) It's not very fair. And it sort of almost starts from the word go as well. Women are mainly responsible for making sure they're on the pill and that often doesn't get checked by the guy. Oh, like
0: absolutely. I had... I had enough casual sex to like repopulate a <laughs> decent sized football stadium and at no point did any of those men check that I wasn't gonna get pregnant. They just mm-hmm. assumed that I either had it covered, I was either on the pill or I was having like a hormone injection or I had a coil. Or they assumed, I imagine, that if I had got pregnant I would have taken care of it. You mm-hmm. know, and I think that is that's obscene because it allows such a power imbalance to build up. <clears throat> you know, it allows as we've seen in America and in Britain, and and in Australia, too, like the right to abortion is threatened by a sort of a really patriarchal view of women being entirely responsible for their reproductive system, but that they shouldn't have any control over it either. And I think it's despicable. If I think of all the men who are against the sort of reproductive rights of women, I wonder how many of them are really, really conscious of contraception yeah. and not getting women pregnant, because I don't think... I don't think there's much of a correlation. I think it's often this idea that women make babies in their wombs and that's what they do and Mm -hmm. actually sperm makes babies babies Mm. come out of men's bodies and sometimes babies come out of men's bodies into tissues and are hidden under the mattress but sometimes they go into wombs Mm -hmm. and they need to take responsibility for that as well
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) you have a little toddler now did you Mm. always know that you wanted to have a baby because in the book you do speak about the mother of all decisions which I bloody love Mm. that little pun by the
0: way (laughs) it's really complicated because I didn't I didn't I was always really maternal I would be that sort of slightly frightening eight-year-old at a family party who'd like <laughs> hone in on a baby and want to hold it and yeah. want to feed it and want to you know play with it so I loved babies and I always felt like I really want I had this real curiosity about what it would feel like to be pregnant to give birth to breastfeed to like I had a you know In the same way that I think sometimes we watch elite athletes and think, wow, I wonder what it's like to be in that body. I really would, like I'd have dreams about being pregnant and I would try and imagine, like I would sometimes in the bath, like run my hands up and down my stomach and think, I wonder what it's like to have a baby in there. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like a university educated uh, woman who hadn't, like had come out of a long term relationship at 28 and I really felt that there was an expectation on me to achieve more and other than just being a mother, which mm-hmm. is really offensive because it's an enormous undertaking and it's probably the most creative challenge of your life to have a child. <laughs> yeah. But in my head, I want, you know, I sort of felt like I had to achieve, you know, I, I should be making films or writing books. I should be traveling the world. I should be like, I should become successful in this other way <clears throat> before I have children. And that meant that my ability to have children was getting more and more compromised as the years go on. You know, Mm -hmm. my my mum got the menopause at 40. And for people who don't know, the menopause is basically when your eggs run out. And that means that you're probably not going to conceive or and for a couple of years before that, it's going to be harder. Yeah. So at 30, I really felt like I had maybe six or seven years left in order to do this thing. But everyone around me was sort of acting like to have a baby was a little bit square and a little bit of a compromise and that you you know you you didn't and the men around me were not ready to have babies like you know the the men that I was dating wanted three four ten more years of surfing and mountain Mm. climbing and like taking pills and going out clubbing like they didn't (laughs) they didn't want to be changing nappies yet and so while I really wanted a baby I also had this sort of sad Um, resignation with the idea that it might not happen Mm -hmm. and there's a a couple of scenes in the book where I have to take both of my parents aside and sort of say to them look I'm really sorry but you might not become grandparents because Mm -hmm. I'm 30 I'm single and I probably am not particularly fertile I don't know if this is going to happen yet and you know they my dad burst into tears and my mum was very cool about it, which I think was sort of not what everyone expects. But, um, and then I did get pregnant and I got pregnant at 32 and he is now two and a half. And so it can, of course, all turn around really quickly. I don't know if other interviews have said the same thing, but like the speed of life after 30 is something to be reckoned with. (laughs) I know. Yes. (laughs) It took maybe, two or three years to happen before particularly in terms of your romantic relationships I was in the sort of position after seven months with my current partner that it took me maybe a year and a half to get to with my previous partner things right. just like really rocket along once you uh, once you hit the big three oh it's also really hard isn't it to admit what you want you know I think there's mm. a sort of not there's a sort of shame and caution about just saying oh me yeah, I want a baby or Mm -hmm. yeah, me, I don't want a baby. I want to like have a really big house or, oh, I don't want a baby. I want to sleep with like good looking men called Julio for the rest of my life. Like we have to, (laughs) we're all a bit embarrassed to say the thing that we actually want in case it's not what other people want or other people think we should have. And I think that's quite sad because it means that we're all sort of living in a state of compromise for our twenties and thirties that we really shouldn't be, like you should be able to say what you want and you're going to do a lot less harm Mm -hmm. if you know. Know what you want and you actually go for it.
1: I know Well, it's funny you should say that, actually, because even, you know, I'm 29 now and even thinking, you know, I can't imagine my life without a baby, but I'm also like, I can't imagine having a baby either. It's just they're both <laughs> really obscure in my head. It's such a conundrum, isn't
0: it? Mm-hmm. Because you're absolutely, and it, it sounds like you're thinking about it very sensibly, which is it's a huge sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You lose, you know, what what you think has been your life will change utterly when you have a baby. The good thing to realise, and I'm only starting to realise it now, is that that change is not, forever you know it is sort of temporary you're not thank god gonna have to breastfeed and stay up all night for the rest of your life at some point hopefully that child will climb off your body and sleep in another bed and you'll (laughs) finally get your sort of short-term memory and ability to speak will come back Mm -hmm. eventually and you will like god amazing one day you might even be able to get a babysitter and go out for a meal like (laughs) you know things do (laughs) things do change but for you for those first I would say at least a year you're going to slip out of this sort of the the river that is your life into a whole different little kind of tributary mm. and eventually you'll rejoin the river but it you like it it sh- is a decision that should be taken seriously and that's why i think you know people who don't want to have babies or don't feel able to have babies or <clears throat> for medical or social or financial reasons choose not to have babies really need to be respected because that is a that is a really serious brave altruistic decision Mm. you know they're doing the right thing because it's it's hard in a sort of heteronormative culture like ours to say oh no I'm going to do the other thing I'm not going to have a baby I'm going to I'm going to live a different shaped life Mm. or if you're in same-sex relationships or if you're trans or whatever the way that you're going to have a baby is much more complicated than the way that I had a baby and so you should be thinking about it seriously because it's it might cost you a lot of money. It might yeah. cause problems with your family. It might mean you have to leave work for a couple of years. Like, that is, that's not something to be taken on lightly, even though it can be taken on amazingly. Like, you know, me mm. and my partner joke that I think we maybe conceived our baby on an overnight train journey like <laughs> we didn't <laughs> like in some ways it can be an incredibly irresponsible act <laughs> <getting pregnant. laughs> I think if, if at 29 you feel really caught on the horns of the dilemma you can't imagine your life without it but you can't imagine how it's going to happen that's because you're thinking about it realistically mm. you know and I think all power to you
1: mm. was it an easy conversation when you broached it with your partner No. (laughs) No,
0: not at all. Yes, My partner is the he's the only child of a single mum. And so his idea of family is sort of different to mine. And he had never really thought about having a baby. I think it wasn't it wasn't that he was completely opposed to it. But it just wasn't something that he thought he'd ever do. Mm -hmm. And so when I and we'd only been together, like, maybe six, eight months when I started talking about it. Yeah. I think it took a it took a long time to win him round, and he like he doesn't know his dad so he doesn't or he's not in touch with his dad so he didn't really know what fatherhood looked like mm. so to ask someone to be a dad when they haven't grown up with a particularly strong male role model is a big ask as well because yeah. he doesn't know what that he doesn't know what that means for him he doesn't know if he's going to do a good job turns out He's a brilliant dad and I picked a really good horse and I was like, (laughs) I've won the race. But um, yeah, it took, it took a lot of cajole, not cajoling. That's the wrong word. Mm. I wrote endless lists uh, of all the ways I thought he'd be good at it. I had to show him my bank statements to show him that we could afford it. I cried. I sobbed. (laughs) I um, took, I took him to visit friends who'd just had babies. So he'd be around newborns. Like I, It was a it was a hard fought campaign Mm -hmm. and I don't know in the end what made him change his mind. But eventually he eventually he did. And poor guy, I think genuinely like six days after he said that he would probably like to have a baby. I was pregnant. (laughs) 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 So he didn't have a huge amount of time to adjust to the idea before he was actually in it.
1: Well, maybe the stars (laughs) just aligned. (laughs) Yeah, but it's
0: hard, you know, that he had never, I think about this a lot, until he had a baby, he'd only ever held a baby once in his entire life. Yeah. And that's because I'd handed a baby to him without realising he didn't know what he was doing. He'd never been asked to babysit. Mm-hmm. He'd never gone into a, like, he'd never gone to a baby shower. He'd never gone into a children's clothing shop. He'd never watched someone breastfeed. He'd never listened to someone's birth story. Like, he had been so shut out of the, of, like, parenting, just culturally. We don't yep. expect men to engage in those conversations. Yeah, and they don't now, have to baby be- showers. <laughs> yeah exactly men don't like they even like stag do's there's not like men don't really get together and talk about fatherhood until their dads yes. which I think is really interesting like there's not this sort of expectation that in your 20s and 30s you're going to talk to your male friends about whether they want to have children what that might look like like how they're going to you know like how they're going to raise their children they just mm. don't they're not encouraged to talk about it. Of course, there are enlightened, great men who do talk and think about it. But the general expectation is that they're not going to. Yeah. And so then if someone in their life, and it might be their mum, it might be their partner, it might be their brother or sister, says, I think you should have a baby now. That's a bit like someone saying to me, Nell, I think you should do flamenco now. It's like, <laughs> what? I've never, I've never... I've never watched flamenco. No one's ever talked to me about flamenco yeah. before. I've never even had a lesson. Why would I do flamenco <laughs> now? Like they really, it comes a bit out of the blue for them. Unless, unless, like I say in the book, we change the conversation and we do talk more openly and honestly about the nature of fertility and ageing and the contradiction between the need to earn money and raise a family. Like if these become public conversations that just aren't happening on female only WhatsApp groups, mm. then I think it will make it an easier negotiation for men and women whether they have children or don't Mm. you know it's just let's make this the discussion that people have over like birthday and Christmas drinks rather than what kind of watch they're going to have or whether they like what kind of car they're driving or where they how much money they need to make that year. Like this is another conversation that needs to be happening. I
1: yeah, think. exactly. And it can completely change the narrative and especially for men because there probably is men out there that do want to have babies through their 20s and they want to talk about it as well. And, yeah. You know, I talk to my friends about this a lot too. Is It's that the, these social constructs, you know, about women Mm. talking about babies and going to baby showers and stuff. It's almost like a bit of conditioning because when you do reach this age, you are sort of like, well, do I want a baby? Or is it just because I've been exposed to all this like baby stuff? You're absolutely on the
0: money. It's Mm. completely conditioning. And I think sort of soft power move, but there is a way that we, as a herd, move into like our new, like we move forward in our life. The reason that at 17, you're not watching cartoons in a Mr. Men sleeping bag and like, you know, Mm. cuddling up to your mum is because the social group kind of move you out of childhood and into adulthood. That's, you know, that's what adolescence is. Mm. And in your 20s, the reason that you're not like sleeping with like really inappropriate younger men is because it would be sort of socially unacceptable. Your friends would make you feel embarrassed or they'd kind of, you know, talk to you about it. Mm. Or if you were like still in your late 20s, early 30s, if you were like partying and taking a lot of drugs, like your work colleagues and your family and your friends would kind of, you know, there there is sort of conditioning In a really helpful way Mm. that makes the outliers of the group move back into the core. If someone is sort of behaving in an immature or erratic way, hopefully there are people around them that kind of move them back into something that's sort of a bit more safe or socially acceptable. But the downside of that is that there is a conditioning largely aimed at cisgendered heterosexual women that says, you are going to get married and have a baby. <laughs> mm. You know, we go to so many what I call Hindu's, what Americans call bachelorette yeah. parties. We go to so many, you know, we now have baby showers. You have like, you know, birthday parties, you all, you know, weddings, all the symbolism around all of those things is sort of saying to women, this is your path and mm-hmm. this is what you should be doing. And while I think in some ways that's good and healthy and happy because you, You need a kind of network and if you are going to have a baby, you need the people around you to kind of be supportive of that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, the old adage that it takes a village. But it means that it's a bit unfair if that's only happening to women and it's a bit unfair if it makes the women that don't want to have babies feel like they're sort of failures or oddballs or, you know, like I think I I know uh, several women who... Have never wanted children. They're not going to have children, and they're really happy. And some of them are brilliant aunties and godmothers and stuff. But some of them, it's just not a feature in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think if they, if the sort of conditioning was a bit more even, that you know, if it happened to men and women, maybe the pressure on those women would be a little less extreme, and they wouldn't feel like they had to prove themselves. You know. Yes. I, I have a friend who's not having a who's not having a baby and she said she really feels like she has to have this amazing career because otherwise people will feel sorry for her and actually she just wants a job like she doesn't (laughs) she's not particularly career oriented yeah she just doesn't want a baby she wants freedom she wants to be able to like go mountain biking and to to go on like be able to afford lovely holidays and nice bedding and good cutlery and that that doesn't mean that she's going to be like this big shot businesswoman and it doesn't mean she's going to be like this milky fronted mother Mm -hmm. she's something else and I kind of I really admire that she's held out against what must be quite a strong pressure to conform to a different kind of acceptable version of womanhood
1: exactly right you're so right now um I'm so excited to talk to you and I'm so excited for the book to come out so it's expected in February that's right 2021 yes yeah. So, will you be thirty by then? I will be thirty in January. So, yes, I will. And I, perfect. I hope right. so much right. that um, you know, there is women and men talking about their panic years. I hope that this does become an actual <laughs> thing. Yeah, well, we can we can make it happen. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We have to. We'll make it happen. Um, And
0: yeah, that's like I'm really excited. And you know, if I get to Australia, we can have a joint 30th birthday party, book launch together, and and uh, and make this happen. Make this happen in the another hemisphere. Because yeah, I think it's um, it's obviously a tricky time, and I'm I'm really excited the idea that I'm giving people just a way of talking about it that takes a bit of the pressure off them navigate it alone, because they're not alone. No one's going through this alone. We've all been there, or we are all about to go into it. So yeah, let's help each other out a little bit.
1: And you know, you're on the other side of the world at the moment. And it's sort of like, well, we're, I'm experiencing what you experienced too. And, and it's so universal. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it's like, <clears throat> it's going to differ in
0: the detail. I hope you don't end up going camping with a conspiracy theorist who doesn't want to have sex with you when you're 30 <laughs> but like there'll be there'll be some big things that probably are the same you know and yeah. i think that's that's what that's the joy of it really that's the joy of what it is to be human is that you know whether <clears throat> whether you're in australia or france or syria or brazil mm. or scotland or ireland you're going to have like a, a body that makes you have to make big decisions about love and work And that's universal. Like, Mm -hmm. that's who we are. And, um, you know, I I wish everyone luck in how they navigate that.
1: Thank you so much, Nell. And um, I'll pop a show uh, a link in the show notes to purchase or pre-order Nell's book, The Panic Lovely. Years. And of course, when these borders open up, Nell, please come over <laughs> and we'll do an Aussie book launch.
0: <laughs> oh, it'd be so nice. Yeah, I, I, I'd love that. And in February, I'd actually get some hot weather. So yeah. That'd be pretty great. <laughs> exactly. Lovely. Thank you, Riley Rose.
1: How amazing is Nell Frizzell there? So grateful for her time. And yes, I do love saying her name. It is a fantastic name. The Panic Years is Nell's debut book. I'll put a link to pre-order it in the show notes. It's out early next year. So excited for that. And coming up on How to Turn 30, we will be covering the other end of the spectrum as well. What happens if you choose not to have kids? When
0: I hear people go, you know oh god I just can't wait to start a family I'm like
1: oh I don't have that Tori Shepard will be joining me for that one coming out soon. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review so other apprehensive 20-something year olds could also enjoy these conversations or you can share it on your Instagram story. I will love you forever. Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch with me if you have any feedback on this episode or if you'd like to see something covered in future episodes. My name is Riley Rose Harper on Instagram as well. You can also get me at how to turn30 podcast on Instagram. Bye.